This episode is brought to you by Gin & Co, author website design specialists. If you want a beautiful and functional website to promote your books and brand, reach out to Gin today. His work includes tailored, expertly designed, professional author websites. I finally have a website I'm proud to share. And we've got a special offer for Words and Nerds listeners. Reach out today and get a free domain name and website hosting for the first year. You can get their website essentials package, includes domain name, website hosting, backup and security, free for the first year with any website purchase. This is valued at $330 a year. Choose a website designed to bring your author brand to life. You can find more details about this special offer at ginand.co forward slash words and nerds. Welcome to the 2024 series of the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm Danny B, author, publisher, and your podcast host. With over 1 million plays, thanks to you, listeners, readers, writers, creatives, teachers, librarians, and book lovers, thank you for coming along for the journey where we bring you relaxed and real conversations about writing and creativity. If you love an episode, you can leave a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow the podcast on Instagram or Facebook at Danny V Words Nerds Podcast. Or you can check out my brand new website designed by Gin & Co at dannyv.com.au. Welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast, where we bring literary goodness straight to your ears. Today, I welcome Siobhan O'Brien. Siobhan is an author, journalist, and communications person. She has written a number of books, including A Life by Design, The Art and Lives of Florence Broadhurst. Today, we talk about All the Golden Light, her debut historical fiction novel published by HarperCollins. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, thank you so much for having me. Now, the first question I always ask authors, and they tend to not love this question, because how do you condense an entire book into 10 or 20 seconds? But I'm going to ask it anyway. <laughs> What's your elevator pitch for uh, your book, All the Golden oh. Light? Yes. So, okay, here we go. All the Golden Light. It's a novel that's set in the final months of the Great War in the fictional south coast town uh, of Balaula. Uh, the book has elements of crime, romance, intrigue, and dark secrets. Um, our protagonist, Adelaide Roberts, referred to in the book as Ada, is grappling with the loss of her mother and her brother who was crippled or who has been crippled from a bullet to the spine during his time at Fromell. Um, Ada has a desire to lead a different life to the one she's living. Uh, she's got feminist leanings, uh, a, grand, a grander vision for herself and her future and a desire to escape from the patriarchal norms in which she finds herself. Um, but through her work at a return soldier's convalescing home and the ambitions of her conservative father, she's drawn into a, a web of lies, secrets, and also she's grappling with the PTSD of uh, the return soldiers around her. Mm, great elevator pitch, and um, it's always difficult to condense a whole book into a few mm. sentences. Mm, but that, that, that gives us a very good idea for those who haven't read it. Now, set in 1918, what was your research like? And I love looking through history because there's always something that surprises you. So tell me about the process and then tell me if anything that really surprised you of that time or you didn't expect. Oh, gee whiz, so many things. I mean, the the research itself, the book took quite some time to um, 
for me to, uh, you know, research. In fact, it was five years. Um, there wasn't anything in particular that stood out. I mean, there is one thing that I think is more of an anecdotal thing than anything else, and it's a game uh, that was played on the beach at Borley Point, which is where I was living at the time when I was researching the book and upon which the fictional town of Balala is, is loosely based. Um, there's a game that was on the beach called Make a Man, and it's an actual game that was played by the children that lived in Borley Point in the early 20th century and, and late 19th century, whereby the children um, of the town would find skeletal remains in the sand dunes. And um, the, the skeletal remains were, uh, you know, from people that didn't have enough money to, to have a proper uh, burial. They were, some of them were convicts, uh, you know, all in sundry, just sort of piled up here. You've got all these bones. Now, the kids living in that remote place, um, you know, you have to sort of make stuff up. Uh, you know, my kids grew up in that remote place. Um, but back then, of course, there were all these these skeletal remains and they played this game called Make a Man and they the first person that was able to assemble something that was, that, that was you know, kind of like a human form would be the winner. Mm. Wow. I was not and expecting I, that ending. Yeah. <laughs> Oh. So, so I did utilise that. I I read about that some years ago. Um, there's a book, um, like a local historian's written a book about that area, which I found to be uh, very useful. I think it's called And They Came to Maramarang. And it's got all this interesting stuff that's, you know, really local community type stuff that you're not going to find at the National Library or the State Library. Yeah, wow. Yeah, that, so that I is love that and it really fascinating. Yeah. And mm. and very mm. and hideous mm. and <laughs> gruesome and all of those oh, things. All those things. All <laughs> those things. I mean, you know, it wasn't just the bones that they found. It was the mm. um do you recall, of course, in our uh, history um, with the Indigenous um, people of Australia, they, they had those um, brass templates that they would put around them, like King Billy, and I don't know what they were called. They were sort of like totem-like sort of things. Now, there was something like that found there. Wow. Um, there, were, there was a bottle from a shipwreck from 1847 with details, you know, all the tins tiny little tins with um that you know used to contain cigarettes or this or that all found in this heap wow it's extraordinary one of the first things that really triggered yeah, I was like, ooh. Okay, <laughs> <go>. <laughs> now, you mentioned about mm. Adelaide or Ada and, you know, a bit of feminist leaning, but in 1980, life wasn't easy for women. How did you capture the time, but her independence, those that feminist leaning, but being true to sort of history? How did you manage all of that and balance it all? Yeah, so here we are in 1918. Um, the way that I endeavoured to do that, of course, was that, her father um, is uh, really good mates with a fellow called Barnaby Sunderland, who's the local solicitor. Now, these two men meet in the schoolyard. And although we have Barnaby, who's become a revered sort of man in the district and known um, and wealthy as a consequence of what he does, 
Um, nonetheless, he respects Ned Roberts, Adelaide Roberts's father, who is not as wealthy. You know, he's barely making uh, ends meet. The war has devastated things for him um, because it's come, of course, on the heels of a drought um, uh, and he's, a, he's, he's uh, on land. And so it's been devastating for his family financially. Um, and the way that I sort of wove that feminist thing in, because Ned is a very, um, you know, a conservative man um, who, who's, you know, got that patriarchal thing uh, very much uh, within his psyche. Um, but it's through um, Gwyn Sunderland, who's the daughter of Barnaby. Uh, now, they, she's about, I can't recall, I think she's about 10 years older than um, Ada, but Nonetheless, they meet when Ada is a young-ish uh, girl, teenager, um, and Gwyn sort of plies her with this these writings of a feminist ilk. And Ada is like, oh, wow, there's another way. So her eyes are very much opened to that. But because she's Ada's come from quite a strict milieu with her uh, family um, and she feels a sense of shame around this awakening that she kind of has because she feels that her family want her to be a particular way but she sees through this reading that there is another way and she feels this kindred um, kindred thing with these writings and so this plants a seed in her mind and that's how I tackled it. Mm. Yeah, that's very interesting. I just thought I loved that. You know, I loved Adelaide and, you know, the obstacles you came against. I thought, well, you know, the obstacle is also the time. Not that the obstacle isn't the time we live in as well, but <laughs> at least we have progressed somewhat since 1918. <laughs> Still somewhere to go, but yeah. we're, getting, yeah. we're getting there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, and what about Emmett and, and Donald? Tell me about those characters mm. and yeah. your process for development. Mm. So um, Emmett is the uh, romantic lead in the story. Um, he's a beautiful character. I do love him. So he's a very sensitive um, man. Um, he uh, for, he spent time um, in the Somme um, around Pouzier and Albert um, where the soldiers um uh, would would you know they'd have time off basically and then they'd go back out onto the field and I wanted for these two men who were both returned soldiers to have very different stories so I chose that Emmett would uh, spend time in France and have a particular experience there um, he had a you know it was quite a profound experience for him and he seems to have processed it quite well. He does have elements of PTSD, but not to the degree that Donald does. Now, Donald is, um, has, has spent time in, in Gallipoli at Anzac Cove and also in Cairo. And um, he's really profoundly affected um, and he, he lost his brother over there and uh, I'm not really going to go into any spoilers, but, um, you know, I the, the process whereby I worked with these characters is that I really wanted for them to have very different experiences. Um, 
I also um, met with this amazing man who's a, um, an historian and actually a veteran himself, Daryl Kelly. He's an author and um, a war nerd, I might say. He's a lovely fellow, but my goodness, he was helpful. And I just had these really specific questions about the landscape, the you know, where they, you know, when did they go to Cairo? When would have they gone here? When would, and he was able to really set me straight so that it was quite solid, certainly in my mind, and therefore solid within the lives of the characters. Mm, and sometimes just having that conversation with people can be far more powerful than all the reading you do. You know, if you go to the library oh. or the internet or anything like that, that personal experience. Oh, really? Yeah, and also these people that get into these things, it's sort of like a world within a world, particularly when it comes to history, I think. Um, you know, not only did this fellow Daryl have um, this encyclopedic sort of knowledge about all these things, but he collected the most extraordinary things. So, for example, the, uh, the soldiers were given cigarettes um, and, and and letters that were signed by Queen Mary and all this sort of thing. Now, he had these things he, he and he was so excited to show me. And so then wow, that's I'm, amazing. Like, I'm like, oh, my God, <laughs> you know, and he had gone to Gallipoli umpteen times and he had a tree that was growing from a seed that he'd, you know, been able to acquire. Wow. You know, what a gem. Oh, what wow. a find. Next level. <laughs> I love that <laughs> so I much. I love it. Oh, me too. I was like, yay, this is great. <laughs> now, war being, you know, a, quite a, a big part of the book in terms of the impact of the trauma that it causes, why was that particularly important for you to explore? Oh, gee whiz. I... Well, I think probably actually, if I'm really honest, um, I, my father, uh, uh, so I'm one of um, five children. Um, I have four brothers. Yes, that's actually true. I have four brothers. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not yeah. sure what that means. <laughs> uh, yeah, beautiful men, but, you know. It's a lot. <laughs> so we're talking five men I'm growing up with now. My father, who is no longer with us, was a man that was born in the 1930s and an Irish Catholic, one of seven himself, and he was very unable to process emotion and he dealt with it in his way, which wasn't great. Um, he had a lot of trauma in his life and I could see the way he just didn't, process stuff yeah and 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 it became very apparent to me from quite a young age yeah mm. and it was a generation where mental illness wasn't really talked about wasn't really diagnosed and particularly for men it wasn't really something that they were at all comfortable about leaning into no, totally mm. yeah um and then of course you know coupled with sort of you know a mother you know she's still with us bless her um she um you know it was and is an avoidant. So mm. it, it was like, okay, let's just pull our socks up. Let's just get on with it, you know. And it's like, well, actually, you know, I think that this person might need help or that person. Mm. So, yeah. 
It's funny that we're learning all these things, you know, the soldier on sort of culture is actually not a good culture. You know, we oh, do need to rest yeah. when we need to rest. You know, we do need to stop and acknowledge all those things because we live in quite a, a strange time, I think, fast paced, strange time. <laughs> oh, no doubt about it. I've just, I've literally just had a friend here. She's a teacher and, you know, she was talking about, um, you know, she's come, she's, she's a little bit older. She's come to teaching as like, you know, second or third career, you know, she's been teaching for 10 years and she talked about precisely this. And it was that it is becoming increasingly hard to teach um, the kids of today because yeah. their minds and their capacity mm. to actually sort of stop and think mm. about things and put them together in this sort of sequential manner or, I don't, I don't know exactly what you call it, but it's like, you know, they're just firing on all cylinders because they've grown up with the, the iPad there from when they were in the pram and ding, 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 everything's just ding, ding, ding. And she said it's very, very hard for mm. teachers to teach really basic things. And the other extraordinary thing is you look at technology and how fast it has changed, but the classroom hasn't changed in 100 years. So... The children in a chair looking at the deck, looking at the board hasn't changed. So it's interesting that everything's changed around our kids and we expect them to go back into a situation that's 100 years old. So I think that's quite problematic yes, that's as well. Exactly right. Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly what she was saying. I mean, shock horror. She was even suggesting that it's entirely conceivable that the kids of the future are, are taught with holograms or <laughs> AI programs and I was like what <laughs> well for now I enjoy it when my kids come home and say they've had a um, outdoor learning day and they're they're allowed to go and learn outside and they go for forest walks and I'm quite pleased when they have a day like that <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. now there are many challenges writing a novel but writing historical fiction novel there's another level to that because you're not only researching you're also trying to develop characters who are often fictional and then filling in the gaps that you can't sort of find from history tell us the challenges in writing this novel oh good lord where do i start um um look you know everything you've just said is absolutely on the money um oh god where where challenges i think I don't know that it really lay with the research and stuff. I think more for me it lay with really endeavouring to get characters that weren't cardboard cutouts and were characters that were three-dimensional, plausible characters that were able to reach people. And so... You know, you, 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 your desire as a novelist is for the reader to engage with your characters, with your story, and for it to be a plausible world that, it, that you've created. And, in fact, that's my answer. It's about creating that plausibility and, and that whole world. Um, so, you know, certainly challenges like, um, oh, well, you know, Here's, here's our protagonist, Ada. She's at the uh, convalescing home. She's going to, like, you know, wash this uh, soldier because he needs to wash, obviously, you know. And then I'm like, oh, there's no tap. <laughs> <laughs> oh, another <laughs> obstacle. <laughs> like, where would she have gotten the water from, you know? So <laughs> that, you go, hmm, 
um, so I think my husband got a bit sick of me because I'd say I'd ask him these really inane questions. <laughs> God, finish the book and leave <laughs> but I need all these details in order to finish yeah, the book. Yeah. Tell me. So that brings me to kind of writing process because I know with historical fiction, I mean, the, the, the research is kind of ongoing, but do you do a lot of research beforehand and then start to write or do a little bit of research and write and then fill in the gaps? What's your process for writing historical fiction? Uh, yeah, so I, I, I feel that I, I worked out the, the plot in quite a concerted way and fairly you know, bullet, I wanted it to be bulletproof, so the architecture of the thing was really quite strongly set. Now, invariably, that's going to change, um, but it was as I was going along that I wove the history into it. So it's a it's a process of constantly reading, constantly going out to these places like the old churches or the old convalescent homes, the old hotels, going out to Montague Island to have a look at the lighthouse, and, and getting it in my head. You know, I, I think I was listening to a podcast of a similar ilk um, the other day, and there was a, an author uh, talking about um, a lot of the time that you are working on your novel is not at the keyboard. It's I call it um, percolating. <laughs> it's like you're all marinating, you know, you're marinating this idea so you could read the history then you let it settle in you so that it becomes part of the fabric of what you're grappling with, the particular scene, the particular turning point. And then once you've, you've, you, you, you have sort of allowed that to sort of seep into your bones a bit, you're able to write about it a lot more clearly. Mm. Mm, no, I agree. I think a lot of writing is sitting there looking out the window. <laughs> <laughs> or in the shower or on a walk trying to think of how to solve problems or <laughs> whatever you're doing with your novel. Oh, no. it's the best thing for overthinkers. I mean, <laughs> right. I mean, overthinker, what do you do with that? Drive yeah. yourself mad or you write a novel. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Now, you're a creative person, you're a writer, you're a journalist, you sing in a band, I believe. Do you think creativity feeds creativity no matter what that creativity is? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. You know, like one of the big, yes. I mean, you, the, the thing with a creative person is that the creativity is just constant. And I think that you have to mm, work out ways to uh, bring it to the light, bring mm. it and, and turn it into something. Um and yeah, so the, absolutely, the more you write, the better you're going to become. The, the yeah, I mean, it's kind of exciting. I mean, one yeah. of the big things I learned during the process of writing this novel was um, that you know they're just words. Somebody was saying to me the other day, "Oh, don't you hate rewriting?" And I thought, "No, actually, I think I would have possibly once, but now I'm through this." process of writing this book I'm like they're just words mm. so and you, and you never you run know, out of words you know no, you never run out of words. out of words 
And if you keep being creative, I think you never run out of ideas. And so, yeah, I feel the same way too, yeah. you know, whatever yeah. you mean, need to do to make yeah. the book better. Kill the darling, like murder yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 you know, um, it can be a horrific idea initially when somebody says, oh, my God, you know, about your, your three point of views, uh, you know, very ambitious of you, perhaps we should turn it into one and you kind of feel like you're about to choke. <laughs> but then go away and you let it percolate and you go and you think no it's okay yeah because this is a challenge actually and you know I love a challenge it's so mm. cool because through that challenge and through murdering all those things that are no longer um bringing out the best in your work you can actually find something even better yeah, I agree. Absolutely. And as long as everyone who is giving you feedback is on the same page to make this the best possible thing you can make it, I mean, it's a win-win, right? Yeah. Yeah, you're not going to take that advice from the postman. <laughs> they might you try know. and give it to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, be quiet, give my letter. Um, if you've got some top-end editor who knows what they're doing, yeah. you go, okay, you're brilliant. Let's do this. I'm to accept your brilliance yeah absolutely absolutely i like that now the question i ask all the authors and creatives who come on the podcast is why do you write oh gosh do you know what because i can't do anything else (laughs) i I cannot do anything else like i am so so a writer (laughs) there's nothing i can do about it it's i feel utterly compelled to do it it's a good answer and I get a lot of that because I think with the industry and it is a tough industry it can be anyway and you get as you know probably more rejections than you do acceptances so I think it does have to be a compulsion and a love and a passion or you just you'd probably do something else absolutely (laughs) well congratulations on the release of all the golden light it's a beautiful book i love historical fiction i'm a big fan and i always think when i'm reading it you know about the technical parts of it and how much research there is i'm always appreciating that so (laughs) thank you so much 